Hi, before I get to my next guest, Susie Whaley, I want to give a shout out to a few of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? I'll tell you what, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Squares Golf Shoes. The patented square toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour, an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent tests prove it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z.com and get Squares 30-day money-back guarantee. Use promo code DISTANCE for $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. And folks, I wouldn't tell you about it if I didn't experience it for myself. I've never felt more stable in my golf swing, which allows me to swing faster and launch it further. Squares, the distance golf shoe. I also want to give a shout out to another new sponsor, Bionic Gloves. Do what you do better with Bionic Gloves. Whether you're looking to own the golf greens, improve your workouts, or get your hands dirty in the garden, Bionic Gloves has you covered. Designed with a hand specialist, Bionic Gloves feature patented innovations that help improve your grip. The strategically placed anatomical relief pads also prevent calluses and blisters while the web and motion zones allow for greater dexterity and flexibility. Head over to bionicgloves.com to find the perfect glove to up your game. And I want to remind you about our friends over at Zexio. In 2001, Zexio Strixon began making clubs for men and women, and they've improved on those clubs every year since. Every part of Zexio clubs are made exclusively for Zexio. Everything is light and balanced. Swing weights are made to give us the highest smash factors. And the best part of getting fit for Zexio Clubs is hitting it higher and straighter than ever before, changing your game. Zexio Clubs are a Golf Digest Hot List Gold winner for 2021. Congratulations to Zexio Ambassador MB Park for her five-stroke victory earlier this year at the Kia Classic. It was her 21st victory, and she did so using Zexio 11 Woods and 10 Irons. See how Zexio can help your game as well. Go online to ZexioUSA.com and pick which set is right for you. All right, now next on the tee with me is Susie Whaley. Let me give you some background on Susie. She played her college golf at the University of North Carolina, where she lettered for four years. Her senior year, she tied for 43rd in the NCAA National Championship. She helped the team win several team titles while she was there, including two Duke Spring Invitationals, which we'll talk about in just a minute. She graduated with her degree in economics. She played on the LPGA Tour for a few years in the early 90s. In 2003, she became the first woman to qualify to play in a PGA Tour event since Babe Diedrich Zaharias did it in 1945. She qualified to play in the Greater Hartford Open by winning the Connecticut PGA Championship. She won just about every tournament there is to win in the state of Connecticut, including the Women's Open three times. She's competed in the USGA Senior Women's Open and the Senior PGA Championship. She's annually recognized as one of Golf Magazine's top 100 instructors, as well as Golf Digest's top 50 instructors and LPGA's top 50 instructors. She is a PGA Master Professional, and she was recently the first female president of the PGA of America, and I couldn't be more honored to have her with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hi, Susie. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Chris. How are you? I'm fantastic. Susie, how are you? I am doing great. I am uh, in Palm Beach, Florida. 
Uh, so no complaints. Had my second shot yesterday. So so life is getting better. <laughs> Good for you. Susie, I want to start our time tonight by really kind of going back to the beginning with you. Where where did the love of golf come from, and were your parents big golfers? My mother was a big golfer. My mom loved the game, and she's the one who actually introduced me to the game, which, you know, I say it like that because at that time, it was mostly dads that were introducing uh, daughters to the game. There weren't a whole lot of girls playing, um, but it was my mom. My mom was an avid athlete. She loved sports and was looking for a pal and found me on the driving range one day with some boys from the pool <laughs> hitting balls. And um, that was really the beginnings of my early golf career in Syracuse, New York. And Susie, I read that really starting at the age of three, you sort of had the need for speed and even went uh, as far as to go to the University of Colorado first before North Carolina and tried out for their ski racing team. Talk about that. Yeah, I was an avid ski racer. Skiing was my passion uh, all the way through middle school and high school. I went away to a ski racing academy uh, in Waitsfield, Vermont. We raced out of Sugarbush and uh, called uh, Green Mountain Valley School. And I was hoping to uh, stand on the podium one day at the Olympics like so many of us do as athletes. Um, listen to the anthem, unfortunately, because that, that did not happen. Uh, but you know, I love racing, still love to ski. Um, and then golf, uh, I was recruited for golf at the time. Certainly, we didn't have the amount of junior events there are today to uh, be recruited. So you were really recruited off your state championship, which um, I grew up in upstate New York, as I said, and uh, played the New York State Junior Girls. And then I was, I played in the USGA uh, Junior. And then I also qualified for the US Open in high school, which Got me some eyeballs uh, as far as college was concerned. For golf, I was an early Title IX athlete and ended up going to the University of North Carolina. And while you were there, another uh, another great player that uh, was one of your teammates, Debbie Doniger, who's uh, been a wonderful friend of the show and uh, another great instructor in the game as well. You guys are teammates at the University of North Carolina. What was it like teaming with Debbie? <laughs> we are teammates. Uh you know, we call her Dee, and uh, she was amazing. Dee, she was a freshman when I was a senior, and, you know, she was full of energy, uh, brought just great fun to our golf team. Katie Peterson was part of the team then. Donna Andrews, a major winner on the LPGA Tour, was a part of our golf team. So um, we had a strong team, and uh, we just we had a lot of fun. We had great memories. I, I think about it today because my daughter ended up playing for Chapel Hill. And when I saw their van versus our van, it made me laugh out loud of <laughs> what we traveled in versus what they get to travel in now. You know, they've got Wi-Fi, lectures, and, you know, seats that recline. And we had, you know, three benches on the floor. And whoever got the floor was, you know, they lucked out because they got to sleep. <laughs> so when you were at Carolina, and a couple of times you guys won the Duke Invitational Championship. What's it like? as a Carolina player, to win that tournament twice on Duke soil? It's so funny you ask. I just finished doing the coverage uh, for the ACC Women's Championship, and um, Dan Brooks is still the coach at Duke. My niece, my sister's daughter, is playing for Duke. And so when I heard you Ooh. mention it early in the preview, I, I giggled because Duke just won the ACC Championship. And it brought me back to the days playing against Duke and, uh, you know, really Tar Heel strong in this household, right? <laughs> so 
So the only thing I told my niece was, you know, and I love her to death. She was with us during the summers. And um, I said, well, you know, you just can't expect me to wear that blue ever. <laughs> I will always be here for you, but I will not be in that blue. And uh, I was very good on the telecast. I didn't show any of my Tar Heel uh, colors coming through, I don't think. And uh, I got to be honest with you, that Duke squad this year is really strong. You mentioned your daughter, Kelly, following in your footsteps there at Carolina. She had a great college career, set the all-time record for the 54-hole uh, tournament score at 11 under 205. Plus, she won the Connecticut State Amateur three times. Your other daughter, Jennifer, played at Quinnipiac, and you volunteered to help coach while she was there. And, and you know, I read that both neither one of your girls really grew up liking the game. They hated the game. How did you get them to change their minds? <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're quoted everywhere saying that. You know, when they were little, um, we, they just came with, people always say to me, how'd you get the girls to play golf? And I'm like, you know, they didn't have an option. Their option was nine holes or 18. It's what my husband and I do. My <laughs> husband's a PGA professional as well. And, you know, they didn't have to love it, but they were going to learn it. And it was just what we did as a family together. And, and the very early onset, you know, they loved it because I gave them, I bribed them, right? Like any, any good mom does or dad, you know, I gave M&Ms and let them drive the cart when they weren't supposed to. And um, so between driving the cart and playing golf, driving the cart always won out when they were little. Um, but, you know, as they hung out at the golf course with us and as they met great friends through the game, which they still have today, um, they ended up getting good at it and, and really starting to love it. And so my oldest daughter now, she, she claims she's a corporate golfer now, so she plays um, in a ton of corporate outings and uh, has a ball doing it. And then Kelly is still an aspiring um, professional. She is playing in Kansas this week on the Symmetra Tour um, and, you know, just working very hard trying to get more starts and, and we'll head to tour school in the fall. You um, you played a couple of seasons out on the LPGA Tour. Talk about competing at that level. What was that like? Oh, so fun. I mean, that was a whirlwind, but again, it was very different than it was today. Um, you know, Donna and I giggle about the fact that we used to take the bread and the peanut butter out of the locker room, right? <laughs> we didn't have any money. <laughs> so we traveled around. We drove everywhere. Um, and I sound like, you know, one of the people who talks about, you know, walking up the hill five miles in the snow to school. But, um, you know, we didn't have cell phones. So we all had CB radios and would caravan to the next event that we got in and we talked to each other over CB radios and you know, I think I look back at it at least um, with really great memories, even though I played horribly. Uh, I made, I think, three cuts. Uh, my first year promptly got fired and lost my card uh, and then realized what I had lost and, and worked very hard to, to get my card back uh, working nights so I could, could um, play during the day um, and prepare. But, you know, for me, it was an experience I will never trade. I, you know, I thought the worst thing that ever happened to me was losing my card the absolute best thing that ever happened to me. So I look back at the LPJ with really fond memories. And Susie, you were the first woman to do a lot of things, like being the first one to qualify to play in a PGA Tour event since Babe Zaharias did it in 1945. What a tremendous accomplishment. Was it embraced as such, or did the guy sort of raise an eyebrow not too thrilled? When I qualified, uh, I had won the section championship, as you mentioned, and um, the section champion earned this exemption to what then was called the Greater Harvard Open, now called the Travelers Championship, held at the same place at TPC River Highlands. And I never imagined they would extend me the invitation. So I didn't enter the tournament seeking um, 
to play in a PGA Tour event. I entered the tournament because I loved to play competitively and, and wanted to win a golf tournament. Um, my mom was my caddy. And after we had um, finished uh, the final round and, and we had won, um, I got a phone call from the tour asking if I was going to accept the exemption. And, you know, I, I, I literally hesitated and said, I, gosh, I don't know. Let me think about it. Um, which, you know, I think about that now and the poor person on the phone must have been like, what? <laughs> um, and it took me, uh, the tournament wasn't for nine more months. And it took me a good three months to decide to play for multiple reasons. I had two very young daughters. Um, they were eight and six at the time. I had a full-time job as a head golf professional. Uh, at a public golf course in Avon, Connecticut. My husband was working full time. So, I mean, we were the typical, you know, dual working household with two small children, a lot on our plate, but, you know, life was great. And all of a sudden now this was thrown at me alongside of 3,000 international interviews and, um, you know, I'm thankful social media wasn't a thing then. I can only imagine uh, what it would have been like if that were the case. But, you know, as I decided to play and as I worked extremely hard to prepare and had this great support network of employees uh, that took on some of my responsibilities, a boss who gave me the freedom to, to play and practice, friends who were picking my children up from school events. Um, you know, it, it, it's something I did not do by myself. Um, and then, you know, I, I really felt compelled to, it was the first time in a very long time uh, women were being put on the covers of publications. Golf was being talked about. And I was proud of the fact that I was part of that conversation and, and Annika was part of that conversation and Michelle Wee and women's golf was getting attention. And, and I wanted my daughters to know that I was going to prepare as hard as I could. I was way outside my comfort zone, but I was going to hold my head high and, and compete. And, uh, and it was brave to be honest with you. Um, and so I think, you know, I don't want to speak for PGA professionals or that wouldn't be fair from the tour player perspective, but, the, the PGA Tour professionals that I did get to know during the process were—they respected how I was taking it on. They knew how hard I was working. They knew I didn't take it for granted. They knew I had earned the opportunity, and that I was going to play from their same tee. And so for me, um, I, I did feel accepted. Uh, Peter Jacobson at the time was a close friend. He played the practice rounds with me uh, with Paul Asinger. Um and then the the really cool part about. Uh, Peter really embracing the whole experience alongside me was he ended up winning the tournament that week. So it was great karma, and uh, it's something I fondly remember. Speaking of Annika, when she played in the Colonial back in 2003, I read she did it with encouragement from you. What did you tell her? I told her the, the same thing I really just said, you know, um, you know, Annika, I didn't, I didn't speak directly to Annika until after she had actually played in the Colonial. And um, I talked to her. It was at the LPGA Championship, which we were both competing in. And she had walked off the green. And I said, well, how was it? <laughs> and she looked at me. And she said it was really hard. But it was probably, you know, something I, I'm so happy that I did. And I was playing in a couple weeks' time. And I asked her, you know, do you have any advice for me? And uh, she said, you know, just don't get there too early. And I said to her, well, what do you mean? She goes, I just got there too early and it gave me too much time to, to think about it. And what Cindy was talking about earlier about, you know, getting nervous and thinking about outcome versus process. And so I took that to heart and I had planned out by the minute everything I was going to do when I arrived on property, trying to navigate the crowds, getting to the first tee, my warm up. Um, and as I walked under the rope to head up to the first tee, um, a gentleman stopped me and asked me where I was going, a, a volunteer. <laughs> 
And I said, well, I'm, I'm going to play. And he said, uh, Susie, didn't anybody tell you we're in a 10 minute delay? And, you know, I remember that so clearly now because all I could think of was, no, Annika told me not to take too much time, right? So it was one of those moments that I think about now and I laugh about because very few people know that story. But I looked at my husband and I looked at my caddy and said, well, what should we do for 10 minutes? <laughs> and all of a sudden, there, you know, <laughs> I don't know what we should do. Um, so it was, it, it kind of lightened the, the mood and, um, you know, I credit that with a little bit of me being able to actually get it airborne off the first tee. <laughs> yeah, that was my next question. What was it like putting a tee in the ground and the ball on the tee and kind of getting ready to swing it the first time on the first tee? Had to be nerve-wracking. Yeah, you 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 work so hard in, in the, imagining it, right? Your visual. I worked on visualization for nine months with Richard Coop, so I I really had felt I had done it numerous times over and over in my mind. I had tried to imagine crowds and the cameras and the people and who I would see and the noise. But there's nothing like that moment, right? And you can you can get really good at visualizing things and fool yourself that you've done it before, but I'm here to tell you that in that moment, um, it's really tricky to get that ball on the tee. And anybody that uh, is a golfer can relate because it doesn't matter whether you're playing a PGA Tour event like I was playing or whether it's your first time playing an event that's uh, competitive or whether maybe it's your first time playing with with somebody you don't know, um, or playing in a club championship, the nerves are nerves. Uh, the golf ball doesn't know where you are. It doesn't know people are watching. It doesn't know, you know, you're playing in front of 40 million people. Um, but you do. <laughs> so uh, for me, once it got on the tee, I, I just really focused on my routine. I had done that. I had worked really hard on on the amount of time my routine would take and, and the steps I would put in my routine. So I really got caught up in the process instead of the moment so that I could make contact. And I did. I didn't make contact well. I hit it a pop fly about 200 yards down the center. But, man, it felt like I hit it, you know, Bryson Long. <laughs> <laughs> and to that end, you know, we, we hear about in other sports, like, you know, particularly in a, maybe a big football game, you know, after the first hit or whatever, it, it just becomes another football game, uh, whether you're playing in the playoffs or the Super Bowl or whatever. Was it like that for you after that first tee shot? Was it just like being out there playing in any other golf tournament? Or did you kind of, kind no. of carry a little bit of that with you after that? Oh, my gosh, no. I, I I had imagined the first hole. I would I knew it was going to be quite long for me. I knew I probably wouldn't reach it in regulation. But I would come just short of it. And that's exactly what I did. I had a really good second shot to just off the front of the green. I chipped up to about four feet. Great. I, life was fabulous. I was like, you know what? This is this is this isn't that hard. It's going to be a great day. And um, the second I stood on the green, I literally lost every feeling in every finger. I, I, I couldn't breathe. I I got so nervous when I stepped on the green. Um, I really hadn't done a very good job of, of visualizing putting. I had thought so hard about all my shots and, and not actually the moment in time I'd be on the green. And I walked over to my caddy, which was Michelle McGann's dad, and said, I, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm going to putt. He said, "Oh no, you're definitely gonna try it. It's your turn." And I said, "No, I, you know, I don't, I don't think I, I don't think I'm gonna. I, I think I'm just gonna stand here with you for a little while. He just you go over there and putt. You can do this. Just rock your shoulders, hit the ball in the middle of the putter, and it'll go in the hole." Um, that's what I went over and did. However, I missed and hit it, you know, six feet by. Um, I then missed that and had a small little putt, which felt like it was 40 feet long um, for double. Uh, and when that ball went in the hole, I. I truly mean this. I 
it was like I made an albatross. I was so happy because I thought I was going to be there for another four putts. Um, and so for me, again, it was a moment that probably was good it happened because I could take a deep breath and laugh at myself um, and say, okay, come on, let's go. You know, it's time to play. Let's just go play some golf. And so after the first hole is when um, I, I want to say I wasn't um, nervous, but I, I turned the nerves into adrenaline. I turned the nerves into something I could focus and, and try to hone in my skills. And I, I ended up playing the best run of golf I've, I've probably ever played competitively, not score wise, but um, actually from the yardage I was playing and how I played um, was probably one of the best runs I've ever played. To the, you are not only the first female president of the PGA of America, you are the first officer. You, you rise from secretary to vice president to president, which is the track that happens. But talk about when you became secretary of the PGA of America, and now you know that four years from now, I'm going to be president of the PGA of America. What was that like? I joined the PGA of America to play more golf tournaments. My husband was playing uh, weekly and having a ball, and I was a member of the LPGA teaching club professional division, but they didn't, they just didn't have as much opportunity. We had a section championship and a national championship. And I was starting to get a little whiny about it. My husband would come home and I'd say, no, 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 they won't let us play. And he'd say, well, you know, why don't you join the PGA of America? And so he called me out and uh, that's what I did. I joined. And uh, people always say, well, did you join to, to be president one day? And I always say, no, I joined to beat my husband. And that was true. And uh, so as I went through that process of joining, I met just the most incredible PGA professionals who were willing to help me with my business, who were willing to mentor me, who um, we so enjoyed uh, socially uh, being around. And it just became this incredible circle and group of people that, that I wanted to be around. And when I started to get involved in governance locally, I, I just loved it uh, for the same reasons, for the network that it built and the people I had a chance to, to meet. Um, and it just worked organically into me running for a national position, which I was elected to be on the board nationally. And then when my term was over, I really wanted to still contribute. I really thought it was important to have a seat at the table and uh, to be able to be a voice, um, not only for women in the business, but for all PGA professionals. And um, so I, I chose to run for that officer position and was fortunate and honored uh, to have the privilege of representing the 29,000 that are PGA members that wear our logo. So for me, it is an incredible journey and, and one that's not ended. I'm the honorary president currently. And, um, you know, I, I really wear my logo probably every day. And I'm so, especially the last year and a half, I mean, COVID has just turned the world upside down and PGA professionals across the country have stepped to the plate to offer this incredible solace for so many and so many communities where people are able to get out and be healthy and well and, um, deliver programming to youth that's been uh, done responsibly. And it's just, you know, uh, without that connection to a PGA professional, um, I'm not sure we would have had the ability to get golf courses open and, and be able to deliver this great game and have so many new people uh, join us in the game, which is our mission. So uh, I couldn't, you know, the last few years has been uh, really something I'm proud of. As you should. I'm curious. The day after you become president of the PGA of America, what's it like waking up that, that next morning? Are you fulfilled for a career achievement? Or are you thinking to yourself, oh, my God, 
I'm president of the PCA of America. You know, I, for me, it was more um, because you work alongside of staff at the PGA of America and you work alongside an incredible board of directors uh, who represent our sections across the country. We have 41 sections, so you have leaders that you're working with. And then, of course, you have your officer corps. Um, it's never a singular uh, leader in, in the PGA of America. You know, you're, you're making these decisions together. And oftentimes, yes, as president, you're going to, you know, take the reins and, and really try to direct uh, a strategy. And our, our work in that board is to develop strategies, to really elevate and promote PGA professionals uh, and to grow the game. And so for me, uh, you know, the day after didn't honestly feel much different uh, other than I knew I only had two years left to make effective change and to be able to promote and talk about PGA professionals in the way that they deserve. So it was almost like a, a ticking clock that I knew, you know, we had a lot to do. We had a lot of things on our list that we wanted to accomplish. And um, so for me, it was more about, okay, how do I get organized and make sure we get as much we can get done as possible um, for the benefit of PGA professionals? And Faith did you no favors. And dealing with the COVID pandemic during the last year of your tenure, what was it like trying to figure out how to navigate a course amid what essentially is a worldwide crisis? Yeah, you know, I think anybody that was a leader – um, well, I mean, everybody is, right, of their own families. But anybody that was a leader of a company or an organization, um, you had to take immediate action to um, pivot. And for the PG of America, it was clear to our board and to our officers and staff that it, it had to be people first. So many of the things that we had prioritized, we shifted from to make sure that we could help our membership. And so some of those things we instituted was the Golf Emergency Relief Fund because we had members that we knew were going to be out of work uh, immediately, and we didn't know for how long. Um, the back-to-golf efforts where we would lobby with the other allied industries to ensure that we were telling golf story in a way that uh, public officials would understand that golf could be delivered responsibly, and it was an outside activity, and that with a PGA professional at the helm, uh, that we could manage that. And that just was an enormous undertaking because county to county, city to city, state to state, all had different guidelines. And so we were trying to update that on a daily basis for our PGA professionals so they understood what those policies were, where they lived, how they could navigate them, um, how they could navigate the CARES Act, uh, how we could help them uh, with the Golf Emergency Relief Fund. Um, but it was really about human capital. And, you know, that's the most important thing for, for most entities and most companies. And we knew our brand uh, was very strong in the marketplace, uh, domestically and internationally. Um, and so the second thing we had to address was our partners and our championships and how were we going to navigate those commitments and those contracts when the world really wasn't open to travel. And so we focused immediately on our KitchenAid Senior PGA Championship, our PGA Professional Championship, and uh, the KPMG Women's PGA Championship, and then, of course, the PGA Championship and the Ryder Cup. Um, so all those decisions were being made um, being discussed on a daily basis, it was uh, it was uh, a, a, there was no separation between day and night, and just like just like everybody else has talked about uh, in any business, um, weekends where there was no such thing, and um, you know you're taking emails at five in the morning and, and, and at midnight um, because we have a very diverse membership of all across the country and around the world. So it was um, it was a real challenge, but you know, we met that head on, and uh, we helped a lot of people. And as I said, you know. 
golf is in a, an incredible place right now. Um, we're up year over year in every category, uh, equipment, you know, junior golf, adult player development, women's golf. Um, so rounds of play are up and, uh, you know, we just want to be able to look forward and, and make sure we can retain those uh, that came to the game, but also highlight that core customer that, that really trusted us and uh, came to the golf course uh, as much as possible. And, and that's something that we're grateful for and thankful for is, you know, this is our business and this is how we take care of our family. Susie, just a couple more before I let you go. And I had the privilege of having Jane Geddes on the show last week. I'm partnering with Jane and the, the Legends Tour this year to promote what those great ladies are doing. I know you've played in a couple of senior events. Are we going to see you out on the Legends Tour this year? <laughs> yeah, you know, you never know. I, uh, I, I signed up for the USDA um, Senior Women's Qualifier. I'm hoping to get to that uh, so I can be able to compete and try to play. Um, so that's a qualification process. I'm not just in the event. Um, I have a couple conflicts with the LPGA senior this year, but I'm, I am going to play locally um, in some chapter and some section events in the South Florida PGA, and, I, and I'm really looking forward to that too. So um, I've got a lot going on on my plate, but playing is important to me, and I'm going to try to squeeze as much of it in as I can. Susie, we've talked about the pressure that's been placed on you over your career and playing in some events. Let's flip that around. When you're playing in a pro-am now and people find out that they're paired with, at the time, the president of the PGA of America, now the honorary PGA of America, do people feel pressure to play well? Because you can't just go out there and hack it around when you've got the president of the PGA in the cart next to you. <laughs> you know, I always try to make people just realize that, you know, we're just out having a great day. And I don't know of any better day than a day on the golf course, whether you play horribly or whether you play really well. I think all of us are disappointed when we play poorly, but you're always going to have one or two uh, great shots that bring you back. You're going to have a, a conversation that makes you laugh. Um, you know, you're going to tell a story of, of, you know, oh gosh, you think that's embarrassing. You can't imagine the shot I hit last week. So I always try to make people feel really comfortable. Um, but I understand if they're nervous because as I said earlier, on that first tee, if you're not a little nervous, probably not going to play very well. So I don't tell people not to be nervous. I just tell them, you know, channel that energy into something positive. Focus on what you want to have happen, not what you think could happen. Stay away from the what if and tell yourself where you'd like to hit the golf ball. Doesn't mean they'll always go there, um, but at least you're in a mindset to have some fun and to play uh, well, and, and you, know, you never know. You might just hit the center of the face and find some fairways and some greens, um, which I love when that happens because then I get a little break because <laughs> I certainly don't get all the fairways <laughs> and the greens. Susie, how can our listeners stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media? For me, I am uh, at Nearsaw, which is in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. I'm working on a project uh, called The Park in West Palm Beach, which is a really cool project. But probably the easiest way for people to follow me is just uh, follow me on Twitter at Susie Whaley or follow me on Instagram at, at Mama Wales. Susie, it's been a huge thrill having you as part of the show tonight. I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime. It was a lot of fun. That was my pleasure. Thanks so much for talking about golf and uh, it was a treat to be on. Stay safe, Susie. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. You too. Have a great night. Thanks, Susie. You too. That's the great Susie Whaley, folks, and just a tremendous human being and uh, all the great things that she has achieved over the course of her career. Kudos to her and her family and 
her girls are out there too. And so I look forward to keeping up with Kelly on the Symmetra tour. And then hopefully we get the privilege of having Susie back on the show again before too long. 